Hello everybody, welcome to the Melt Hammer podcast, it is episode 177, big episode for you this week as we review the uh, the majesty and the magnificence and the heavy fucking metal that was Bloodstock Festival 2021 and joining me to do that today is the one and the, oh I'm Mel from Melt Hammer by the way, I don't think I said that, hi everybody, nice to see you, appreciate it, uh, also joining me today is Metal Hammer Reviews editor, Mr. Jonathan Seltzer. How are you doing, Seltz? I'm doing all right, which is what, which is more than I could have said for the last two days uh, of recovery time. Yeah, I think my voice has just about got somewhere back to normal, yeah, um, see, but I'm still not going to risk any high notes. <laughs> yeah, I, I never got that um, husky voice thing um, that everyone else seemed to get the, after the festival, which I'm a bit upset about, quite frankly. It's because you have deep and dulcet tones, as is Jonathan. Uh, also right. joining us today, also from Metal Hammer, amongst other things, is the wonderful Mr. Stephen Hill. How are you doing, Steve? Hello, mate. Yeah, I'm not feeling so good. Not going to lie. Long old weekend. Lovely time. Um, I can still hit those high notes, though. So I maybe didn't have quite as good a time as I thought I did. But I think I did. <laughs> I've just got a great singing voice. That's all it is. I think I kissed kissed the last remains of my falsetto goodbye singing to uh, Africa in the in the Sophie Ten on Saturday night. <laughs> it was epic. Uh, we are going to get stuck into Bloodstock. It was an amazing weekend, a historic weekend. But before all that, we've got some business to attend to because we have a brand new issue of Metal Hammer out right now. You're listening to this on Thursday. It's out in shops as we speak. Uh, we recorded this on Wednesday and I literally revealed this, I mean, a matter of seconds ago across socials. People are losing their mind. Iron Maiden back on the cover of Metal Hammer for the first time in three years, if you can believe that. We go inside the biggest metal album of 2021, inside Senjutsu, courtesy of the band, courtesy of producer Kevin Shirley, courtesy even of Senjutsu cover artist Mark Wilkinson. It's a huge, extensive deep dive, the deepest and biggest feature on Senjutsu, Senjutsu excuse me, that you will see anywhere this year. Very, very excited about this one. Greatest heavy metal band of all time, exclusive interview, and the magazine comes with a load of exclusive goodies as well. I'm talking a giant Senjutsu double-sided poster. I'm talking exclusive fridge magnets that you literally cannot get anywhere else in the world ever. These are exclusive to Metal Hammer, and we even got a really cool art print that has the uh, Belshazzar's Feast uh, design on it that you may remember from the kind of viral campaign leading up to writing on the wall a few weeks ago you can only get all that stuff plus the interview in the latest issue of metal hammer it's out across the uk right now you can go over to your local shop to find it or you can get it delivered directly to your door from tinyurl.com slash get hammer uh, we anticipate these these sets will go because they are stacked with goodies as i said so don't mess around it's the biggest thing happening in metal this year, so we're very, very excited to be all over it. tinyurl.com slash get hammer. Iron Maiden are back. Come on, let's go. Uh, also, I want to give a shout out to our wonderful sponsors over at Killstar, the world's very greatest and coolest alternative fashion and accessory brand. Go over to killstar.com to check out all their awesome goodies that they have as well. I'm talking t-shirts, I'm talking trousers, I'm talking shoes, I'm talking jackets, I'm talking dresses, I'm talking pin badges, I'm talking wallets, I'm talking little cool mugs and things that you can put your health out of bats on and all sorts of fun gothy stuff. All the good shit. Take yourself out for the last fleeting remains of summer that we have or prep yourself up for spooky season because it is just around the corner, if you can believe that. It's September in just over... In fact, it is going to be... No, not quite. It's September in like 10 days or something. Unbelievable. So it is getting into spooky season. Killstar.com is the place you want to go if you want to get yourself all nice 
and ready for it. Right. Bloodstock then. The first Bloodstock for two years. Uh, obviously, we had Download Pilot earlier in the year, back in June. So it's not kind of technically the first festival that we've had this year. But it is certainly the first kind of 90% fully blooded, full-on festival edition uh, in metal that we've had uh, in the pandemic era. Obviously, we did have a few kind of dropouts and stuff as, as it kind of got close to the weekend. But they still put up an amazing lineup for Bloodstock 2021. Uh, and we had a lovely old time um i mean where should we start steve you got on site the earliest out of the three of us i think is that true you got on site after i did didn't you salsa um i got there around about two or three o'clock on the friday yeah i was kind of about half one steve i think you got on site uh first out of all of us can you describe what it was like setting foot back on bloodstock again did it feel did it feel weird did it feel like you'd never been away it actually felt more like I'd never been away. I mean, I think I spoke about the sort of the um, the euphoric romanticising that I did of the download pilot where walking onto that field felt really weird and, you know, discarding the mask that you were being forced to wear um, was now, you know, not, not a thing at download and it felt kind of odd. It took a little bit of getting used to. Weirdly, with Bloodstock, I kind of immediately was like, oh, here's the same place that I normally get my accreditation here's the same tent that I normally go into to you know drop my stuff off in the press area here's the same bar here's the same layout of the stage it was all the same and it was like it was great to be on there but it was more like a sort of ah isn't it nice to be back here isn't it really really nice just to be back rather than this oh my god this thing's happening I can't believe it I felt a bit calmer about Bloodstock than I did about Download, which was, you know, people were getting super emotional at Download, and I think maybe because I'd already had that at Download, I didn't get that so much at Bloodstock, but it's, it felt like a nice, warm, cosy blanket that you hadn't, or like a, you know, a, a, a nice-fitting pair of trousers that you hadn't been able to fit into because you'd put weight on over the pandemic, and now, <laughs> and now you've managed to sort of squeeze back into them. It was really nice. It was just, yeah, really nice. Yeah, it was lovely. And I've got to say, I know, you know, for, I guess for us lucky journos, maybe it didn't have quite the same emotional punch as Download purely because, you know, it wasn't the first, the first festival, the first gig that we all got to go to. But there was definitely still a lot of emotion riding across the festival itself. I saw a lot of people, um, I guess people that probably wouldn't have gone to Download maybe weren't about that lineup quite as much as they were about this one. Uh, or couldn't get tickets or whatever. You can tell that there are a lot of people for whom Bloodstock is their home turf. It's the it's the weekend they look forward to. It's the big event of their summers, and you could just see people soaking it in and getting emotional all across the site. Um, what were you going to say, Jonathan? Yeah, no, because I didn't do um, download this this year, so this was my first festival. And it was my first. I've been to a few socially distanced gigs, but this was my first experience of a gig like back in the old times, and. Yeah, so at first, you know, I wasn't sure how I was going to feel about so many people all at once. Um, but then the closer I got to the festival, the more genuinely excited I got for it. And so, yeah, when you get onto site, um, there's one part of your brain that is saying, is this weird? And the other part saying, no, it is, like Steve said, just going back. It is just where you, you picked off, picked up from. And, um, you know, my brain's very good at accepting whatever is my new reality. And so I just felt like, um, yeah, this was just life as it is kind of almost almost back to normal apart from like oh i haven't seen you in let me guess 18 months 
Oh yeah, I know it was because there were some people that you know friends and and peers in the industry and everything else that I didn't get to see at Download that I did get to see this weekend, and it was so nice to see them. I mean, you do in in our as I'm sure people who you know go as a punter and everything else have the exact same thing. There's certain people that you only end up seeing at festivals every year, um, and so there are people that I haven't literally seen for like two years that I bumped into, uh, and it was just so nice hanging out with them. All. It was it was amazing. Um, and as well as all those good vibes and fun and shenanigans, there are a ton of fucking great sets across this weekend. And Steve, I think you saw the first set we were kind of excited about because I hadn't got on site yet. You got there for Svalbard, right? I did get there for Svalbard and I saw all of Svalbard and I thought they were excellent. Really, really excellent. And um, yeah, it was uh, it, the, the culmination of quite a, a long time really for, for Svalbard I think I feel like they have been around well I don't even feel like they have they've been around for a long time and for whatever reason it feels like slots at stuff like you know main stage slots or big stage slots at stuff like Bloodstock and Download and I mean I was about to say Reading then I'm not really sure they fit in particularly well at Reading but you know those kind of bigger festivals it feels like they've been a little bit elusive to Svalbard and where some of their peers um your Venom Prisons um, or now even your Conjurers um, might have nabbed some of those slots. Svalbard, it felt like it's sort of the first time that they were getting to play, certainly in this country, that they were getting to play something with this kind of profile. And Serena looked really, really delighted. It's funny because they're an angry, aggressive, white-hot band. And when they were playing, they sounded, you know, savage and heavy. And in between, even though Serena talks about, you know, that she was often talking about a lot of very serious matters, but the times where she was like, thank you for having us, um, it was so genuine. It felt really, really genuine. And I think it's it's great seeing a band who have deserved more for a long time finally get to do a thing that they've really probably should have been doing for a while. And you, you it feels like you really they really appreciate it more. And, you know, she said, it. you know, I wouldn't have been here if it wasn't for Alexi Leho and Joey Jordison and did a big kind of shout out to them. And, um, yeah, it's just a really kind of impassioned, brilliant set. And I wasn't sure that their music was going to translate to a kind of larger stage. But there's a, there's a, particularly with that newer material, there's a sort of element of grandeur to Svalbard, which actually worked really well in that setting um i thought they were excellent and i think i can only see uh, you know they should be climbing up these other festival bills at this point i think personally yeah i think that's a really really fair point and it it, it is interesting that svalbards have maybe not quite made the, the quite the same climbs as many of their peers that have the, kind of the same number of albums and have been the on scenes for the same amount of time i mean i don't know maybe Places like us and other platforms have pushed them quite as hard until more recently. I don't really know, but, um, you know, they are as every bit as good as pretty much any band in that scene you could name. And I'm really happy that they they went down so well. Um, I came on stage, uh, came on stage, don't let me on that stage. I came on site just as uh, Higher Power were playing, um, who replaced Lowe, who unfortunately had to back out. Uh, quite early on did you catch high power steve i imagine they're, i did they, yeah i don't think we've talked about them on here much because they're not super metal hammery but are they kind of in your ballpark you're a high power fan yeah uh, they remind me of shelter they remind me of that kind of like 
posy, bouncy kind of fun core. I think they tried to call it, uh, or, or Krishna core, but they're not really Krishna. But yeah, they've got a kind of um, they've got a kind of fun, bouncy, hardcore thing to them, and they've got some great, really great riff. And I like I like both of their albums. I actually really like both of their albums. Uh, they're not an obvious fit for Bloodstock. And I don't think they helped themselves that much, to be honest. It wasn't a massive crowd. Uh, they were quite good. But I don't think they helped themselves by... How can I put this in... Well, I can't really. They were dicking around a lot. They did a lot of dicking around. And I think... In what like, sense? You know... Um, elongated parts of songs where you introduce every member of the band like you okay. know you're you're you you are in you're in bloodstock you've replaced you're a replacement for a replacement um yeah. and you're not really suited to this festival if i were you if that was me i'd go right let's get on there and go for the jugular and do like 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 queen at live aid you know i mean obviously high power don't have quite as um, you know, celebrated a back catalogue as Queen, but I would, I would, I would say <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> I would say I don't think that's a particularly hot take, but I would say probably get on, play your most aggressive material, and just bash it out and try and grab people's attention. You're not going to grab people's attention by sort of lounging round the stage and letting your drummer do a little drum solo while going give it up for, you know, this is. I can't remember his name, Chris or something. He's our drummer. So it's not a. I don't think that's a particularly bright strategy, personally. Interesting. Fair enough. But they were all. Right. Um, I mean, you know, when they played, they were they were pretty good. I've seen them be a lot better, but they were all right. All right, that's fair. That's fair. Can't really argue with that. Uh, sorry, go on, Jonathan. No, it's actually unfortunate that Loathe didn't play because, um, like, both them and um, Svalbard, you know, they, they've got a thing of mixing ambiences in with, with the metal. And it been really, it would have been a really good comparison and maybe the two would have kind of reinforced each other as well. Yeah, that's a really fair point. It would make Svalbard seem like, I mean, they weren't an anomaly. Although they, they would have had acid rain between them, which is very different. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> very different texture. Um I, I got, I mean, speaking of a different texture, I, I finally got on site, kind of got my bearings and then marched immediately out to catch Venom Prison on the main stage. We talked last week, Steve, about how this was like a potentially really big set for them. Um, uh, fourth from top on the main stage of the biggest metal dedicated festival in the UK. Big, big deal. Uh, and like the heaviest band on the lineup, I guess. Um, I haven't really listened to Feet used to be fair. Uh, but certainly like one of the heaviest bands of the weekend. Um, And they turned up. I thought they sounded really cool. I thought they looked great. I think Larissa just is completely kind of grown as a front person. Um, And they even had Pyro and stuff. It felt like a big scale main stage death metal performance, which aren't a, a group of phrases that normally go together. I thought it was great. I fucking love seeing it. And it just like filled me with joy to see a band like that getting rapturously received by a main stage crowd. What do you think of him, Steve? I thought it was brilliant. I mean, I'm really like, sometimes you kind of, you will go, Oh, this might be the thing. This is going to be the weekend stealing thing. And it doesn't quite happen uh, for whatever reason, but it's really nice when, I mean, look, I'm not entirely sure they stole the weekend. But in terms of a younger band uh, on the main stage, 
kind of stepping up into a onto I guess a different level. Venom Prison were they were the band definitely. I think like you say the pyro brings. I mean it's obvious those kind of really kind of meaty death metal riffs with fire that makes perfect sense. You're right. I think Larissa has completely transformed herself into an almost totally different focal point. I mean, when I first few times I saw Venom Prison, I loved the fact that they had this kind of skinny, shy mop of hair fronting them who didn't really want to engage with the crowd. who didn't really look at the crowd. who just kind of put her head down and let her hair go over her face and just belched her guts up. And it was pretty like intense and amazing but to see her now looking that confident and to see her kind of goading the crowd pulling those kind of classic death metal faces um the song sounded massive i think we said it last week like those songs are just they're not the kind of this is not technical precise death metal in the same way as something like I don't know, Morbid Angel would be. This is, you know, with the, the, the kind of, oh, what's going on here? This is an, an arcane, uh, intangible thing that they're talking about. This is the gut punch with an iron fist as hard as you fucking can over and over again. And they just sounded... The sound wasn't brilliant all weekend. Like, I think it's probably worth like flagging it up now because we'll probably say it a few times throughout the review. Sound wasn't great all weekend, but Venom Prison... I think we're one of the few bands who really did sound very good from where I was stood right in the kind of middle of everything. They sounded really savage, really loud, really sort of everything was sort of perfectly pitched that they, they were, they were fucking great. Absolutely yeah. fucking great. Just met all expectations and like smashed the few as well. I think just really, really fucking good. Mm. Um, we had, I think we'll just do the main stage and then we'll kind of go on to some of the other stuff that was going on uh the wild hearts played a bit i did not catch played a bit i did not catch them is what i meant to say um did you catch them steve this time or no um do you know what i actually didn't which is scandalous because i love the wild hearts but although i have seen them about 50 times um i missed them because uh i hurt my ankle and i needed to sit down for a bit i heard good things i heard nothing I heard nothing but good things compared to um, Download, where obviously they really didn't have a great time of it. So it definitely sounds like they made amends for that, which is good. Skin Dreads, I mean, it's hard to kind of talk about this set without just repeating literally everything we said for the Download Pilot set. But the thing is, the Skin Dread is that you know exactly what, you, what you're going to get with pretty much every single, single Skin Dread set you go to see. And yet it's always just fucking brilliant. It never feels disappointing. It never feels boring. It never feels samey. It was just the ultimate heavy metal party. And again, we've talked before about how Bloodstock have historically sometimes announced bands for the build that have been divisive upon first kind of like greeting. Um, Skindred just seem to fit Bloodstock so well now. <laughs> I can't really describe why, but it just works. They're just like the house party band. It's fucking great. Yeah, fucking. I mean, I, I've never seen a bad Skindred show. Never. It's impossible. It's not it's possible. Not, it's not a thing. It's never doesn't happened. Ex- doesn't exist as a thing. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I don't... I, we'd say the same thing any time they ever played. I think you'd say the same thing. And I don't... So I don't even know if it's worth me saying it again. They were skinned. They were skinned again. Um, I, I always... I mean, you know, after a few beers, it doesn't take me too much to 
have a little dance around, but like they always get me moving. Always. I can feel, I can be a right cynical hack sometimes at gigs, you know, arms crossed, stood at the back, kind of taking it all in rather than getting stuck in. Skin dredges get me bouncing my head and dancing around like an idiot every single time they play. So it's irresistible. Yeah, completely irresistible. I mean, like, uh, one thing I will say is that the Newport helicopter is now, this is not their fault. Because everyone wants to do the Newport helicopter and everyone wants them to end with warning and play the Newport helicopter. People, as soon as they played the opening riff to it, people had their thing and they were spinning it around. And I'm like, no, 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 guys. you got to keep your powder dry. And I'm tempted to say to Skinjed, maybe retire like warning at the end of the set like that for a little bit. Just because it was annoying me. I mean, the thing is, is that like Benji Webb has famously always said, you go to Skinjed's show and you won't be surprised and you won't be disappointed. So everyone knows exactly what they're going to get. And they're entertainers and people go along and they want to do that. Um, but I was like, the fans, you are ruining the Newport helicopter by doing it before you get told to do it. Like the beauty of it is, is the build up. And then we're going to do the Newport helicopter and then you do it. Don't do it at the start of the song. This is a, a pledge to everyone who is... Stop doing a Newport helicopter before you get told to do it. Don't stop, pre- stop doing skin dread wrong. <laughs> yeah, like I, you know, I don't want to be a party pooper. I want the party to be to go off proper. Um, I'd love to see you do that. Just walk around the entire bloodstock cycle. Pulling like, no, people's yeah. <laughs> shirts back down, put that back on. Stop it. Yeah, Premature elevation. That's yeah, what it is. It it's is, become, yeah. It's become like, uh, it's just such a standard now that it's like, I mean, the thing is, Skindred is so good that they're never going to risk becoming, oh, they're that band that did the Newport helicopter because the rest of their set's always brilliant. And Warning isn't even like their best song. So it's like not an issue. But yeah, I kind of know what you mean. It did provide kind of, I can't think of a better sub-headliner band now than Skindred in terms of getting people in the mood for a Friday night party. And uh, we had Devin to come on after that, which was pretty fucking perfect i think in terms of keeping that mood of just jubilation and fun and irreverence going um i probably watched about a third of his set i'd say did you watch you watched most of it didn't you steve i watched a fair old bit of it yeah um i watched the uh the the bull bags and um <laughs> the, the the choir i mean we got we just i don't know if we should say this but we got asked to be in the choir we kind of went oh no 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 i don't want to be in the like we were getting kind of a bit too self-conscious <laughs> i was yeah i was like i don't want to be in the choir for you know i wanted to watch the, the set and devin is brilliant i mean considering as well he put that bound together in a couple of weeks i mean yeah and they had like three days to rehearse i think yeah and it's pretty amazing. Um, Here in Love by Strapping Young Lad. Uh, I just... Like, I think we were talking last week about Devin. And I was like, you know, I really I really like Devin. But he's got so much stuff. I'm like, I don't know what I am a fan of and what I'm not a fan of. I, I, I enjoy most of it. But I'm not like a hardcore fan. I would say I'm much more of a fan of Strapping Young Lad. So when he's like whacking out love that was like an absolutely euphoric moment to me yeah and you could feel the the crowd um i'm not saying that they reacted a bit differently it was kind of like you know everyone loves devin every song he does gets cheered you're right he's got so much stuff that's almost impossible to like keep on top of everything he does but that's the one song that everyone that likes anything devin has ever done fucking loves that tune and as soon as he announced it, you could feel that swell of like oh like it was so good and it, it's like, you know, it's pretty much, which is like the biggest song he's ever been involved with in his career. It's got to be one of them. It's got to be right up there. And the fact that he 
doesn't really play it that much anymore. I mean, to hear it is like, it's fucking amazing. But, you know, I thought the set was a really good mix of, you know, of everything that Devin does well. You know, it was brutally heavy at some points. It was incredibly beautiful and delicate and transcendental at other points. It was funny, like really funny. Obviously, he doesn't take himself seriously at all. He's always really, really funny. There was a bit where, 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 like I said, the bouncing, farting scrotums came out on stage. And in the middle of the song, he just shouted, I'm a 50-year-old man! And I was like... <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah... And look what you do for a living. Amazing. Yeah, there was, there was, yeah the poosers. There were like bouncy poosers in the crowd as well, I think. Yeah. There was a yeah. gorilla playing guitar at one point or bass or something. There was an mm-hmm. elephant at one point, I think. Yeah. There was a lot Lots going of, on. There was a it was lot, just ridiculous. There's a lot going on. It's one of the more kind of unique headline sets you would ever see from an artist, yeah. I think. And a good show as well. Like not Great just all show. those silly props. Like there was pyro and I think there was confetti, like... You know, it felt like it's the kind of celebration that that kind of set should and, feel like. Um, and the band, I mean, the band included James Leach from Sixth and Crocodile and various other uh, bands of, you know, kind of from this country, who's, you know, a really, really amazing bass player. And I think the band were really, really tight. Um, Devin sounded great. Obviously, not only did he have to self-isolate, he hurt his back just before as well. So sort of struggling with his back. He kind of fell over at one point, didn't he? And it was a bit like, oh God. Um, yeah, there were there were a couple of kind of like, you, you could give him complete like right to kind of have this because of the circumstances in which the band were put together. But there were kind of a couple of slight wobbly moments kind of technically. Like, yeah, I think he did maybe trip or something at one point. Um, I think there was a moment they had to, did they have to cut a song short or something? Like something happened with one of the songs they were playing. Um, he mispronounced, or like he, he, he announced the wrong song um, uh, at some point. It was like, there, there was kind of little moments where you could just see that it was like stuck together with sellotape because it was like so last minute, not last minute, but so kind of little time for them to rehearse together and stuff. But I mean, it just didn't matter, did it? Because it was just so much fun relentless fun um yeah and while all this stuff was going on the main stage of course there was a stacked sophie tent going on headlined by napalm death all feature also featuring conan evil raging speedhorn these are not insignificant bands whatsoever um jonathan you mentioned that raging speedhorn were of particular note on that day yeah uh, i mean I've, i quite like raging speedhorn but i was surprised by how well they went down at the, how good they were at that festival and how much i needed that um you know they're a bit they're kind of laddish but my god they have such an amazing groove and basically that groove is i mean when they first started everyone's saying they're a bit of an iron monkey ripoff which is probably true but they just had a load of beastie boys influence in it um which just made it for such a good, really heavy party atmosphere. And it was rammed, people losing their shit. I was losing my shit. I just got that real super festival excitement of watching them. And um, yeah, their band is easy to take for granted, um, but they just really put me in the moment. And um, yeah, it was just so much fun. And the, the, yeah, just what a band live, awesome at stuff. Festival, at that, particularly at the festival. You caught Conan as well, right? Yeah, yeah. How did that go down? Uh, the, the, so considering like how much hype they had, I thought the festival tent would be absolutely rammed, and it wasn't quite. And 
But what they do is they just hit you with a riff and then keep you hitting it and then keep hitting it. And this is kind of like accumulation that goes on until you, you're kind of almost taken out of yourself. And yeah, they sound, uh, I think singer John, he, look, he, he just sounds like he's in a wind tunnel when he sings. This, this is kind of rush. And I love every band that sounds like they're in a wind tunnel from Jane's Addiction to Kylesa to Wasp. And um, it just gives you this real sense of momentum to it as well. Um, so yeah, when you're a little bit inebriated and you've got this constant throwing of this riff down, like, yeah, you, you're just this just this kind of um, whip, this huge whip that you're just kind of whipping the crowd with. Um, it becomes really mesmerizing. Awesome. Yeah, I didn't get to see that because I think that clashed with someone I was watching on, on Main. Um, safe to say from everything I've heard, I know Jonathan saw it. I can't remember if you saw it, Steve, but Napalm Death owned the night on the tent. In the oh, tent. mate. Fucking amazing. Go on, Jonathan. Sorry, I'll let you, I'll let you start. No, I, th- I thought they were amazing, but I thought that might have been the sound that there wasn't as much different yet it didn't sound as ver- as much of a variety of tones as they do on record you know considering they played across 13 records and they played like the really groovy stuff like breathe to breathe um and it didn't sound as quite as different you know as as much of a variety as as they as it should have done there might be the sound kind of just evening everything but there's an apalm death sound that um the minute you hear it, it's like basically trains crashing into each other, and um, so you just get lost. You, you just get lost in that kind of moment that lasts for yeah an hour or so. Um, just that kind of that density they've got on the sound, and yeah, just you know watching, um, watching Barney Greenway just running backwards and forwards across the stage like he wants to eat everything off the shelf. <laughs> <laughs> he has that thing. And yeah, and some you know, and just you know what it talks about between songs, this real sense of unity amongst this really ridiculously dense, crushing sound that has everyone feeling a sense of euphoria about the shit state of the world. Um, not much to be honest. I just think they're always amazing. Napalm Death, they're incredibly reliable uh, as a band. They're probably. Like, I mean, I said it when we reviewed the album. I think they're just, they're just one of my favourite bands of all time in any genre ever. And hearing stuff from the new album, like Contagion, which has that bit of sort of um, Swansea, uh, post-punky, 80s kind of gothic-y stuff to it. Is that they're not just, you know, you think you're going to watch Napalm Death and you're going to have an hour of just like, like blast beats in your face. And actually, like you said, you know, Breed to Breathe, Breed to Breathe, Far more kind of groove, you know, contagion. Far more kind of um, art rock influences. I, watching Apalm Death is almost not like watching a band. I think they've said it a bunch of times before, and we've said it on here as well that they sort of treat themselves and think of themselves like an art project. And watching them play live, it is like watching. I was going to say like a performance then, but it's not even like a performance. It is like some sort of art installation, trying to find as many different ways to be extreme and punishing in an hour as you possibly can and managing to do it as well uh they're just they're just fucking brilliant yeah and i think they're um they're a really good example of like why it's always really good to have a wide frame of reference mm-hmm. and and you know, but 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 also have a very unique sort of lens to put it all through 
and and then uh, you know a uh, ten times you know level of gravity to just like crush it into one sort of humongous mass of glory. I mean, that's, I don't know how to follow all these adjectives, quite frankly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I won't, I won't. We'll leave it there. One of the greatest bands to ever do it. Fine. Uh, Saturday was, for me, certainly on the main stage, the day I was looking forward to, to the most, just stacked with great bands. Um, Steve and I got on site at roughly the same time, but Steve popped over to the main stage to see Conjurer. Uh, meanwhile, I was over in the Sophie tent, watching uh video nasties how were conjurer steve conjurer were fucking great and as predicted they did better i think than they did at download people seem to know what was going to happen um they opened with a new song again which was amazing uh i did notice actually uh their new the start of their new song sounds a little bit like venus by banana rama which is one <laughs> what, of the what <laughs> just <laughs> It does. It's like opening guitar jingle, 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 jingle. That's not like it's a bad thing, right? Though. No, no, not at all. That's a great song. I mean, it, it very quickly changed into something quite different from Venus uh, by Banana Rama. But just that opening riff, I was like, oh, obviously influenced by uh, the work of Stock Aitken and Waterman. But um, it was, uh, it was, it was, it was fucking great. I think they sounded better than they did at Download as well, which was something that I was a bit worried about. That how's that? going to translate um how do you create that sound that they have on the album in 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 the the kind of uh setting that it is those big main stages really really hard for such a kind of dense nasty brutal um thick sound to really go over uh to well i think you know the comparison i think i made before was like neurosis um opening the main ozfest stage back in the kind of mid 90s and they kind of found a way to make that work and i think conjurer look like having had a go at download they've started to find a way to make that work already um i'm really really excited for their new album because i think the new song they played sounds brilliant and they're just really great live and there's such a, and it's weird because i was like oh you know what could conjurer do like with the second album there's so much sort of there's a lot of hype around them a lot of love around them really the way they sound they shouldn't be anywhere near any kind of main stage at any festival because they're so they are so fucking horrible sounding that really to get the reputation they've got it's, it's amazing really it's like genuinely i was listening to them and i was like fucking hell this is like, you know, getting in Hammer's albums of the year and getting hype from not just the metal press, but from other parts of the music press as well. And they are such a horrible sounding band that it's really, it's it's quite an achievement. You know, you've got to be really, really good on your first album to get that level of like, oh my God, from a lot of people. And yeah, I, it's, it's pretty impressive, I think. Yeah, it's just like I, more evidence of just how... Uh how healthy the UK mail scene is at the moment, I think. What you can say, I, Jonathan? I was about to I, do a seamless segue there. And you oh, it. sorry. <laughs> well, I had, I, had to make, I had to make a correction for any of the pop pedants listening that Venus isn't actually a Bananarama song. They covered it. It was from 1969, a band called Shocking Blue Red, and Tom Jones covered it in 1970. So Fucking I was hell. just like, hold a sec. I, I know it's a Bananarama song, but I'm sure 
I know that they, it wasn't them who wrote it. That's the kind of trivia that people that didn't didn't come here for, but they're glad I they didn't did. Know, I meant the Banana Rama version. Uh, it sounds like. <laughs> it sounds like. Yeah, specifically, it doesn't sound like Tom Jones' version. Definitely not. Completely. So different. people are going. I, I love. I love shout by Disturbed, and you go like. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I love the sound of silence by Disturbed. Definitely. <laughs> um, they had that great uh, spine shank song while my guitar gently weeps. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually haven't heard that, by the way. Uh, well, while you were doing that, I was watching another great uh, young UK metal band, Video Nasties, kind of like a, a kind of deathy, thrashy, black and roll band from Liverpool playing songs inspired by horror movies, what is not to like about everything I just said. Um, I caught the latter half of their set. And they were just they were just great. They sounded really, really fucking good actually. I think that um uh I was surprised by how good they sounded. People were really there for them, especially for how early in the day it was. I think it was still the morning at that point. Um and people were kind of headbanging, there's a bit of moshing. Um their front man, uh he's called Damien, I think. Damien von Tal- Talbot. Um he was just kind of shirt off, kind of lurching around stage, quite almost kind of lackadaisical in the way he was kind of walking around, just bellowing out these rotten sounding vocals over these really kind of catchy death and roll tracks. Um, really, really enjoyed it and had me listening to their music actually this week again off the back of it because that album's really, really good. Uh, if you haven't heard it yet, go and check out their debut album. It came out last year. It's great. Um, so I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed that. Uh, and then the next thing I saw, and I think Steve saw a bit of, was uh, Wargasm on the main stage who did not who did go down well at download, despite being objectively pretty fucking sloppy at download. Um, I thought they were a lot better at Bloodstock, to be honest. And I was kind of pleasantly surprised to see that um, Bloodstock kind of embraced them in the same way that download did, which I don't know if it's the changing kind of audience at Bloodstock. I don't know if it's just people are just so happy to see new music again, but for a band that are kind of like, new metal mixed with kind of kind of spunky riot girl punk um i just really was expecting to see a sea of like unimpressed arms folded people watching but by the time they finished set people were like really going for it um steve was less impressed is that fair to say steve I, to be honest, I didn't see. I was actually interviewing somebody while they were playing, and they did sound. And they did sound like, from where I could hear in the tent, I was like, "Well, they sound much better." And I went over and I just caught literally like the last five minutes of them. There was a guy behind me shouting "fuck off, fuck off, fuck off, fuck off" at them. So I wouldn't say it was a particularly universally positive response that they got. There was certainly yeah, a lot of sure. people. There was certainly a lot of people around me who were um, appalled that they were there. Um, uh, the bit that I saw, I think I said to you, they sort of, they still sort of remind me of the brother and sister act on Britain's Got Talent a little bit with the mum sort of standing at the side of the stage. Um, do you know what I mean? I, I still think there's some way to go. But having said that, they did sound like they were a bit better than they were at download from what I could hear. Um, I saw the like the fuel bit at the end, which I hadn't seen the first time. Um, I don't really have a lot to say about them really i mean i saw more of them at download but yeah it sounded like they were better and it did look like you know it was quite a fairly big crowd for them again yeah it's just it was just especially after something like conjurer do you know what i mean in between Mm. conjurer the heaviest band on that lineup that day and fucking malevolence the most kind of like 
pummeling Aggie band on the lineup that day. I was kind of like, I don't think this is going to work at all. But um, it did seem like they're, I mean, you know, they had a good few rows at the front moshing around and stuff. So good for them, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I like Wargasm anyway. I think they're a cool band. I just think they have been kind of elevated immensely for where they are to be playing mm. two main stage festival slots in one summer. It's pretty mad. So I mean, um, above sure Conjurer be... feels really like. Yeah, I'm just saying. Surprising. I'm just saying that sort of it's it's kind of it's kind of mad that um, Conjurer have got as big as they've got. But even despite that, I still think. They should be above Wargasm, shouldn't they? You haven't even got an album out yet. Yeah, certainly at this festival. Particularly but at I think, I think, yeah. I think there were some that Wargasm were a replacement band, weren't they? So there's mm. been some set swaps. I mean, there's there was a lot, like about six or seven bands pulled out during the weekend. I think. And yeah, it did. They masterfully managed to kind of slot in more bands to replace them as the weekend went along. So uh, it was a bit of a strange lineup in that sense. Um, so yeah, I thought Wargasm were good, and I'm glad to see that they're just kind of getting better as they go along. It seems. Um, that all said, though fucking malevolence man i mean they are always great they were great at downloads putting them in a tent is always just gonna go off seeing them come on a main stage again young british band on the main stage of a festival like this even as heavy as they are probably not the most obvious booking for bloodstock especially when you look at how like Hatebreed were received when they got booked for instance many years ago um they fucking tore it apart. I thought they were absolutely brilliant and I thought they got better and better and better as they went on and the crowd just got more and more crazy for them. And by the time um, Alex, the singer, isn't it? by the time Alex was like getting people to crowd surf over, it was fucking bedlam down the front. I went down the front to kind of get some stuff for Hammer Social Media and I was like, I had to avoid like a lot of flying fists and kicks and like bodies. It was fucking great. Yeah, they were fucking awesome. Like that, you know, that, that's two festivals this summer that they've played download out in bloodstock where they've come out of it looking like heroes do you know what i mean because they absolutely stole the friday at download despite being on fairly early like fairly early on in the whole weekend you know they're one of the first bands on the first day so they're on pretty early on and Yet still, we came back a week after going like, fucking hell, how good were Malevolence? Like, after everything else that happened, you know, sometimes the early bands on the Friday get lost a little bit. They definitely didn't. And, I mean, I actually didn't watch all their set because I went to go and see something, which I'll talk about in a little bit, because I have seen them a bunch of times. But as I was walking away, as I was walking away, I was like, this is mental, like, how good they are. And I think, again, Malevolence are another one where everyone just sort of forgot about them a little bit. You know, they're not putting an album out for a little while. It looked like they had not dropped quite, I mean, quite a long while now, I think, to be fair. It's been years. 2017. It's four years. What, since four the years. last Malevolence album? I actually thought it was longer yeah. than that, to be fair. But even that was like four al- four years between albums or something, wasn't it? Like yeah. they've had a they've not been prolific. Let's they say. they put four they put an album out every four years at the moment, which for a kind of young hardcore band is not the best strategy, I would suggest. Um but yeah, they're just fucking I knew they'd go down well at Bloodstock because they've got that southern um, crowbar-y, I hate God, New Orleans thing that is laced through them. They've got that kind of thuggy Pantera metal thing about them as well. So I really kind of fancied them to win over anyone who was like, oh, you know, look at these hardcore kids or whatever and they shouldn't be at Bloodstock. Even though that, that attitude seems to have completely just been... It's gone now. It's pretty much gone. Um, 
which I think is good. And yeah, they were like, you know, I, I saw the majority of their set and I thought they were very, very impressive. And I hope this means they actually, they don't seem to play much or tour much or just have much of a presence in general. But the the pendulum has swung back round to Malevolence this summer. I think everyone's talking yeah, about definitely. them again a lot. I think that next, when they do, hopefully they are working on an album and hopefully it's due out kind of within the next like few months or whatever, because I completely agree. Like, I think I last saw Malevolence again years ago. Like, it was so weird because we were so excited about that first album, Reign of Suffering. It was in our, I think both our top threes for Hammer that year. Um, and I don't think I even got to see them live for a couple of years after that. And then they, yeah, they've been on and off. Like this summer has has deservedly put them on people's radars in a big way, I think. And I'm really excited to think that they could still kick on and become like a major force in the UK metal scene because they're one of the best bands around. They just fucking kill it. Um, and speaking of killing it, my goodness me, because Silosis were meant to play, they pulled out. I don't think anyone replaced them between Malevolence and Sleeps. So next up on the main stage, I believe, if memory serves, was While She Sleeps. Yet another young British heavy band, not obviously suited for uh, for Bloodstock, came in at short notice as a replacement. Um, again, really wasn't sure how they were going to go down. And again, I should never have doubted them. I thought they absolutely smashed it again. Dropped Brainwash fairly early on and you could just see people just be like, oh, when that riff hit. Um and even the kind of slightly lighter tracks that they played, I think, went over really well. Loz was uh, knackered, it's fair to say. He's been he's battling post-COVID at the moment. Um, uh, and you could see that it had taken out of him. He was kind of lying down uh, between songs a little bit and this that, and the other. But he still put everything he had into it. Still climbed up the sound desk, which has now become like a festival staple for While She Sleeps. It never gets old. Um, especially when you see them do it in front of a crowd that maybe you haven't seen them do it before. Uh, I think they gave a really, really good account of themselves and I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of people who might have been cynical about them would now consider checking them out after that. What do you reckon? Yeah, I think so as well. I think it was really good. I think had I not have seen them at download, I might be coming on here and saying something a little bit different because, you know, let's be honest, download was... That's going to go down. That's one for the record books, isn't it? That's one for the history of Download Festival, yeah. that set we saw. Maybe the best Sleeps gig ever and so far the best set of the entire summer, I think. So it's a tall, mm. tall thing to follow. Yeah, yeah. And I think it was, like, in all honesty, it was some way off that. Not not because they did anything wrong. Um, I don't think the sound was quite as good for them at Bloodstock as it was at Download. The crowd wasn't definitely was not as pumped up for them as they were at download. I mean, there were times where, I think I said it to you, like when the start of Four Walls came in at download and everyone was like, oh, my friends. Like the whole field was like, ah. Whereas when it happened at Bloodstock, everyone was sort of like, oh, cool. And that's, it kind of never really got above like, oh, this is really cool. Whereas at download, like, oh, this is really great. Whereas at download, it was literally like pandemonium, people like eating their own t-shirts and you know, crying and stuff like that, going mad. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think, you know, the never underestimate how big a part the audience plays in what makes the sort of genetic makeup of what makes a really, really great gig. I still thought they were really good. Picked a different set list as well. Like you say, dropped Brainwash early, moved some stuff about. Um, 
would have didn't liked play, to see... didn't play nervous i don't think which yeah, I, think was, it... I think was quite wise because that is that's i can see people being a bit like uh, you're nervous mm. like a <laughs> bloodstock thing you know yeah and um didn't play the nightcrawlers cover either did that. and uh I, you know there's some stuff that they that i would you know i'd still would like to hear stuff from this is a six i'd still maybe like to hear um stuff like hurricane as well from um uh whatever that album was called i can't remember now U R We. but yeah a really really good set i mean they're they've got so much energy they've got so much personality they're so they're, they're just different from the bands of their ilk um i think they're probably for my money at the moment if you were to rank all of those kind of british just after the sort of start of the 2010s metalcore heroes for me whilst your sleeps have now established themselves as the premier one of those bands for, for my money oh mate i mean they've been my favorite of that crop since day one and i think they i think they i felt like they'd fallen off a little bit a few years ago but i definitely think they're back on top of that tree now like no doubt in it um yeah it's cool to see uh british metal shenanigans continue straight after this with paradise lost playing draconian times in full um, what did you make of this, Jonathan? I watched some of this with you, didn't I? Yeah, um, I loved it. It was um, like when they when they start off with enchantment and they've got that fever, fever, you know, beginning of the first line. It's just like it's such a moment, and they're just such a class act. They really are, and it's it's interesting that they did this album because it's like the last album of that kind of first period. Where you know they did one second after that where they started going a bit more experimental. And usually, like when you, when you reach like the last album before, like bands like Napalm Death did it, um, and um, other bands have done it as well too. Which is like you've kind of reached the epitome of where you can go with that particular sound. Um, so, so every song they played feels like it's kind of carved into stone. That's also maybe because, like you know, bless him, Nick Barker. Sorry, Nick 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 Holmes doesn't have the um, the most expressive of voices, but but it becomes something else when when he sings, like um, it's almost like this echo of an emotion or something. And the last few years as well, like in in years past, whenever I've seen Paradise Lost, like their gigs really depend on like how much fun he's having on stage. Which is hard to gauge sometimes because they're so deadpan, but I've seen gigs where um, he just it felt it felt like he didn't really want to be there, and it makes all the songs inert. But you could tell he's having really good fun on stage, and it just it kicks all the songs into life, and he's got this kind of very deadpan in between song, like these kind of half jokes and things. Um, which you know, he's not Michael Ackerfeld in that regard, but it, it's. Um, that kind of yeah, jokey dourness, which you kind of want both sides of it just to kind of liven them up, and um, yeah, so it's a really it is a really classic album, and um, you could tell like how much it meant to fans there that the field was full, people were singing along to to the words, and yeah, it was a really amazing experience to to see. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't actually see all of it. Annoyingly, I was I got chatting to somebody um, in the the press area just as I came on, and I missed the little run of my favourite, like "Hallowed Land." I fucking loved "Hallowed Land." I love that song, and I, I could hear that, and I was like, "Oh, I've got to get out, mate. I've got to get out and see this." Um, they also ended with 
Um, I mean, as they, they tend to do, sagest words from one second, which uh, that is such a massive... It's only when I hear it live that I'm like, God, this is an absolutely huge, like, I don't want to say pop song, but I almost feel like saying pop song because I think it's so catchy. And then they went, obviously went full Depeche Mode after that record. Um, but yeah, they've got like, they, they've got such a, a broad set list and such a like kind of, I know they've played most, you know, a lot of Draconian time, well, all Draconian time stuff, but I think they're playing Gothic in full at Damnation later this year. And that will be a completely different set, I'm sure. Will be a completely different set. They're, they're, I mean, they're a brilliant band, Paradise Lost. They're so, again, a bit like I was saying about Napalm Death. They've got so many shades and so so many shades of God. Eh? Um, uh, they've got so many different things that they could tap into. Like I saw them supporting Danzig. I think they could probably support Danzig or they could support some kind of crusty death metal band and they'd be able to pick a set that would work for both of them. So I, I just really love Paradise Lost. I think they're brilliant always. Yeah. I, I love it when they play the Gothic stuff live. I saw them at um, Hellfest a few years back doing loads of Gothic songs. It seems a bit of a weird one for Damnation considering that's the more, the more extreme of the festivals, but it'll go down well. We all love a bit of a bop. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I'm nowhere near as fan in the same way you two are and I still really enjoyed it. I thought they were cool as fuck good kind of goth daddy vibes um cradle of filth came out next this was a fairly you know relatively late addition to the bill as well um which is a fucking mad thing really get like the most successful british extreme metal band of all time uh to play a festival is pretty good going uh i thought this was just really great fun cradle always super polished um i thought it was a really strong set list i kind of played like all the huge songs from the Cradle Twin Slave, Ghost of Fog, and Amphetamine. I thought the new track, Crawling King's Chaos, sounded really good, actually. I think that's already got, like, um, that kind of hook that runs through it, I think is really strong and already feels like quite an established set list banger. Um, it was funny because I was watching them and I was thinking, you know, Danny's stage patter is so kind of... He's so, he's so self-aware a lot of the time. And it's like, it's got that slight tongue-in-cheek edge to it. And I feel like that's one of the things that's made, I don't want to say a disconnect, but it's made Cradle just such a kind of oddity in extreme metal. Because if you compare them to kind of any other band that you could even loosely compare it to, like Demi Borgia or Septic Flesh or anyone like that, like all those other bands are so much more kind of po-faced about everything. Whereas Cradle have a slightly different vibe to them. It's kind of like heavy metal panto, but at the same time, they're still like... Well, an it, amazing it's... extreme melt. Like they're an amazing band. Like those yeah. fucking riffs and like Danny's vocals. Like they're fucking great. Um, well, it's so British, isn't it? That approach. And that's what that's what I'm getting at. They're so uniquely British, and I think that just makes them a really interesting, unique band in our world. Um, yeah. uh, and so when I watch Cradle, I never quite get the same. I like them more than those other bands I just mentioned. Than pretty much any band that you would throw into the kind of symphonic black metal realm. Um, but they kind of, I just think they're really fucking fun, great, easy to watch band basically. I've never seen them and not enjoyed them. I thought the stage show was really cool. I thought they made the best use of the backing screen that Bloodstock had, which is really good. Like it, they kind of felt like an immersive experience. Like they had this kind of dungeon thing up there and all this stuff, it looked really good. Um, 
Yeah, I just thought they were great. And again, when they kind of roll out those like massive tunes, like her Ghost in the Fog was like a big sing-along, which for an extreme metal band is not something you can often say. So yeah, I just enjoy Credit of Filth being Credit of Filth, to be honest. I thought they were great. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, go on, Jonathan. We both said yeah at the same time, and then I think yeah, we're I know. Launch into something. Yeah, no, I mean, so I remember like, I mean, so I have a kind of a, I remember like seeing them kind of back in maybe the early 2000s, and there, was, and there was way too much going on stage, and it was just a bit silly. And like, it's such a fine line with them. And then when they kind of strip the stage set down, you kind of get more into it. And there is that kind of knowing, slightly knowing distance, but I, d- I can't imagine Cradle without it. And it's interesting that, um, you know, his, his, Corpse paint uh, on Saturday. It was very. I don't, I don't know who's done, done it like that first. That kind of weird sort of um, Vianetta you've got across your face. Um, you know, it reminds me of Carrick Angren, who's also the other like symphonic band who have this really knowing um, aspect to them, and also a very narrative aspect to them that that um, also um, Cradle have got. And so I. I just going along with Cradle is such a um, it has so many ups and downs when you're following the career. Sometimes I think, what was that? Was that a song? It was just you just going all over the place and throwing everything in all in at once. And I will say that the new album is absolutely great, and it's all songs. It's got the right level of pomp, and that new song they, and that song from it, I thought was really good. Mm. Fair. Any any thoughts yeah. on Cradle, Steve? I like the new song. Um, coming to you in a bargain been near you i think danny said at one point which is a bit like well i probably don't know if they have bargain bins anymore in anything do they because we don't live in the physical world do we? oh mate so i still probably... i still get my cds from poundland for the car you get some yeah, yeah, bargains yeah, in there mate yeah sure okay well you know I'm, maybe i'm wrong um but yeah like it, cradle of filth are they're like yeah you're like you said they're a really weirdly unique band because there isn't really anything else as far as I'm aware, in my kind of, I mean, I would obviously go to Jonathan, who's much more of an authority on this sort of thing. But in terms of like, let's broadly call it black metal, symphonic black metal. Um, I'm not sure I've ever seen any bands who are just so aware of their own ludicrousness. Like Cradle of Filth, uh, the whole set was just pumped full of absurdity and i always love going to see cradle of filth because they do you know sometimes i i see some black metal stuff and i think like are you aware of how silly all of this is and i think cradle of filth are not only aware of how silly it is they're trying to go out of their way to make it even sillier and i i do and i that's something that i appreciate and it is like say a very kind of british um version of that thing um, and also, if you if you can't get excited by loads of fire and people dressed like that playing these kind of frosty riffs and going, Aah! then I guess you probably are at the wrong festival, right? Yeah. Well, I think I think you've highlighted something that's an element of um, Cradle of Filth that it's kind of black metal for people who don't like black metal sometimes. And when I when I used to see their gigs, it was it was like lots of young kids who, you know, only almost. Uh, only in Cradle's, Cradle of Filth t-shirts, who don't, you know, they're not really, they weren't really a gateway band getting into Dimmu or even, you know, other black metal. So um, if you think black metal is slightly silly and uh, you shouldn't, 
um, then I then I can see why you will you will accept Cradle and not listen to other bands, and that's an aspect of them. There is a kind of like slightly Jackanory aspect of them. Um, that's not too old a reference for for people. I think Jackanory was going going till pretty recently, to be honest. Yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, lots of people don't accept Cradle of Filth as a black metal band, even, and I kind of do see why because um, they're kind of they do just seem so unique apart from that. But I kind of love the fact that they transcend that scene because it's what made them such a big deal in the late 90s and early 2000s. It's why their T-shirts were worn on Coronation Street and stuff. Do you know what I mean? It's why they made the most infamous T-shirt in the history of metal. Like, they are bigger than that scene was in terms of the kind of the footprint they had on the mainstream, at least. I don't necessarily mean legacy, yeah. but... I mean, I mean, you know, there's loads of black, black metal bands who don't like Dimu. Um, mm, but people, sure. I, I actually really liked Dimmu Gear. I like, I like that sense of pomp, and I liked it when they kind of went slightly a bit more commercial. Just suited them, just like follow your own destiny. You don't, you know, don't be underground for the sake of it. And I'd, I'd rather listen to Enthroned Darkness Triumphant than the, than the first two records. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's a certain amount, a level of elitism, I guess. And I can understand it, you know, why you why you wouldn't like Cradle or why or why you even wouldn't like Dimu. But um, I'm just saying that um, they catch people who think black metal is silly, like Steve and Stone Daggers. No, 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 no. Don't get, don't misunderstand what I'm saying here, Jonathan. I don't think black metal is silly. I think Cradle of Filth do something. I think Cradle of Filth adding kind of, you know, Lovecraftian romanticism and gothic kind of noir to a genre, mm. which is not very cuddly at all, but can often be very, very po-faced. And the silly stuff I'm talking about is probably more of those bands that came in their wake, I would say. I don't particularly find... I mean, you know, Wolves in the Throne Room had an album out last week. I don't think there's anything silly about Wolves in the Throne Room. I don't think there's anything silly even about someone like Gorgoroth. But I think there are some things that I look at within Black Metal and I think the... Um, when when it went so, so, so OTT and people were treating it almost like a kind of dogmatic religion rather than a musical movement. And that's not that's not unique to Black Metal. That's... You know, I would probably say the same thing about the East Coast, West Coast gangster rap thing from the nineties. It's like, why are you, why are you treating this like so fucking seriously? And because you should. <laughs> no, I don't. No, I don't know. I, I well, like killing people and stabbing people and shooting. People no, because of like, obviously, that, obviously, that, obviously that, not that is not something you should take. I don't think it should ever get to that point personally. Well, no, it started at that point, and I think we all, I think everyone kind of moved beyond it. But I wouldn't say like Watane are silly. Um, no, I don't like Watane. I, I like Watane. I think, I think uh, that's a really interesting one, Watane. Watane are objectively not silly, I agree, but Eric is actually a lot more knowing than people will often. Yeah, yeah, he is. He's, he's very and smart. And he's very funny. Like, yeah, he can be very funny. So, like, it's not like he's kind of, like, po-faced in the way people might assume he is. Anyway, no, but, but when you meet these people, no, none of them are, really. No, for sure, for sure. But that's why it's a kind of very complex and layered thing, which, you know, I'll be very interested to us to get into another time, maybe. Maybe we should, yeah. do, a Hall of, <laughs> maybe we should do a Hall of Fame on Cradle of Filth and we can open up a kind of good old can of worms there because it is a really interesting point. Um, I think one band that everyone can agree exactly where they stand, exactly what they do, and exactly that they are one of the best to ever do it, 
is creator, headlining the Saturday night, one of the greatest, most important, most influential thrash metal bands of all time. I absolutely consider myself a creator fan. I've really loved their recent run of material every bit as much as um, a lot of their classic stuff. And I tell you what, judging by the reaction to Satan is Real when they dropped that song on Saturday night, a lot of people feel the same way as well. I was blown away by the size of the crowd and the passion of the crowd and how engaged the crowd were for creator. I thought they were fucking brilliant. What did you think, Steve? Oh, yeah, I would uh, back everything you've just said. Those last few albums have been brilliant. I, I mean, I have to say, when they drop, like, anything from Pleasure to Kill, the whole place... Like, I was stood quite far back. I was actually didn't get right down the front because, like I say, I've, I've torn the ligaments in my ankle, um, listeners, so that's why I wasn't, like, you know, swinging my fists around down the front all weekend. I had to be a little bit like, I had to pick my battles, unfortunately, because I was like Limpy McLimperson. So I stood kind of quite far back for Creator. But even when, you know, they when they were dropping those songs, even at the very, very back of what had been a fairly kind of, for the most part, like, it's a, Bloodstock's a really friendly festival. People were still like, teeth gritted, flailing arm swinging head banging beer chucking madness all the way to the back i was like fucking hell in fact i'm gonna say that it was more of a raucous reception to creator than maybe even judas priest got which is mad i mean i think everyone obviously loved judas priest obviously but people were going fucking mad for creator even at the back it was brilliant and they brought again like i think i said it about their last sort of sub-headlining slot, they bring a massive show for a thrash band as well. Like, thrash metal is not really synonymous with a show. The creator have got an actual, an actual show. It was fucking excellent. Yeah, it was huge. Um, and, you, and I know what you mean about the kind of reaction to them because uh, Judas Priest, like, everyone fucking loves Judas Priest. They're one of the greatest heavy metal bands of all time. But I don't know if kind of well it depends who you're standing with really i was standing next to alex mylas former <laughs> uh so who's been on this podcast before when judas priest came on there are certainly a lot of people who treat judas priest like a religion like people might any other band but i just think creator they've got like a bit of an underdog status which seems nonsensical because they're such an important thrash band but they're kind of like slight outsiders in the terms of in the in terms of how they kind of rose up to being in the position they are now in this country where they can headline a, a big festival like Bloodstock. <clears throat> and I think there's just this kind of swell of love and support for the fact that they've done that. And the fact that they are genuinely in as good form now as they've ever been in their career. Um, and it was just, it was, I just, I thought, I've got nothing else to say for it other than it was fucking awesome. I thought it was cool that they brought out Danny as well for, I think, Setlist FM tells me was Betrayer. I was quite a few bits down by that point, but I do remember him popping up on stage. Um, they dropped like Extreme Aggression, two songs in. Again, Satan is Real was just such a kind of moment that is going to stick in my... Like we, we've said before, Steve, like Bloodstock doesn't always provide moments of the same scale that Download does purely because of the nature of being an outdoor festival that's not quite as big. Like it's hard to kind of create scenes that can match duality by Slipknot and everything else but like that thing where everyone was singing along to say it in Israel was one of the coolest things I've ever seen at Bloodstock like people were loving it uh, and I, I just thought it was absolutely fucking great one of the best yeah. genuinely one of the best Bloodstock headline sets I've seen yeah I think so too I think that was a total masterclass 
And, um, you know, maybe one of the reasons why they got, you know, that reaction, let's say relative to um, Priest, is because the songs, they're made for that reaction. They instill that reaction. It's just that that kind of euphoria. And, you know, that, that era of thrash bands, you know, they all kind of moved on and did so many different things. Um, and so there were so many different flavors in that set. And yet every single one of them hit home. Like, you know, the whole stage set was amazing. You know, the pyro was great. When they shot out, they, that stream was like kind of hung in the air like some kind of strange amphibian creature. It was just everything about that set was a total masterclass and total euphoria and everything that heavy metal is about. And, you know, people maybe overlook the, um, you know, the German big three, but, you know, because, you know, they had that slightly dirtier sound. But my God, between them, they've created some of the best thrash riffs in the world, uh, you know, with Sodom and Destruction. And um, yep. And so I, I love that kind of German thrash sound because um, it kind of led into lots of other things. I mean, you wouldn't have had black metal without without um, the German thrash bands, I think, uh, especially Sodom. And a lot of the sort of black and thrash bands take a lot out of creator as well, too. And it was just, yeah, that was one of my one of my moments of the festival, completely just losing my shit again. It was fucking great. Um, I did see uh, some of uh, Phil Campbell and the Bastard Sons as well. Um, uh, they were playing a bit later than I realised, and we were actually going over to, as a group of us that went on the Dodgems on the Saturday night. And I wasn't bothered about seeing Phil Campbell, to be honest, because I just thought, well, it's going to be like, probably like 90% not Motorhead stuff, and I'm not really listening to his his own stuff i'm sure it's good but it's just you know i've not really heard it um but we literally happened to walk past the tent as they busted into ace of spades and i was like oh here we go then uh, and then he did play a couple of motor songs while we were in there and it was really good actually the tent was packed people were, like it felt kind of a little bit emotional because obviously with let me know no longer uh being with us um so i really enjoyed that have either of you fellas got any tent bands to shout out from uh saturday baylor oh, oh of see- course I went to see Baylor, who I mentioned um, they played uh, just, um, while that kind of they came on while Malevolence were on, just sort of last little bit of a Malevolence. And so because of that and because they had um, not a similar sound, but they're a hardcore band, essentially, um, they had a pretty small crowd to begin with. But by the end, after Malevolence finished and a load of people came over to see them for the last few songs... Um, they got an actual pit started, which was good to see. They're an Irish band. They pull from a lot of that kind of, I guess, like mid-period, um, every time I die, maybe like Mailing and the Sun's Disaster, that kind of thing. It's almost like bluesy, hardcore riffs, but they've got a dude front of them who is just that like barking bulldog, sort of Scott Vogel from Terror, super hyper-aggressive front man. And... I thought they were very good. I've never seen them before and I've liked the two EP, the EPs they put out. And um, I thought they were very good. They played like just new stuff from an album that they have coming out, I believe. And it sounded like a kind of step up from the stuff that I'd already heard. So I think they're definitely a band to watch. Um, yeah, they were really good. I thought win- I thought Winter Fillers were awesome as ever. Um, Pack Tent. <laughs> <coughs> You know, they have a very romantic take on black metal, which which really works at festivals. And they've got all the fierceness of you ever want from black metal band. And by way of contrast, I saw Hannah War in the New Blood <laughs> stage, 
which is basically, you know, they're just doing Man of War covers and it's Man of War basically with the benefit of not actually being Man of War. So, um, sort of silly, <laughs> but um, kind of you just get you just get wrapped up in the crowd, really. And fair. all the sort of plastic swords being, um, being, being thrown about. Fair, fair, fair indeed. Uh, let's move on to Sunday then. A uh, big day for proper heavy fucking metal on the Sunday main stage. Uh, but it was kicked off by Ciderblut, who are an interesting proposition, kind of like a high lung esque band, I guess. Jonathan, you caught this yeah. lot, right? Yeah, and so I was so happy that that Bloodstock have booked a band like that because, in because for all the greatness of Bloodstock, it doesn't take a lot, if, that many lateral steps when it's booking bands. So having a you know you know like. Vodrina never played there. Solstafir have never played Bloodstock. So to see a band like that being booked was really great. And, you know, you, you go there and it's the third day on a Sunday. You get there with a hangover and there's, this, there's that Heilung 4-4 four, four, boom, boom, boom beat, which um actually made me feel better because it's kind of done with this kind of drones on, on layers. And, um, and, you know, it's a band sitting down. And, you know, you, you get the, the crowd you expected on a Sunday morning, but everyone was really into it. People were chanting their name. Um, I I kind of think that any band that's not Harlan or Wardruna is a bit of a shadow of um, those two bands. Like they they're not they don't really have their own unique take on it, but it but it has a power. And they had these two um, fire dancers in um, costumes that were you know had all the level of authenticity of like maybe Rucker Welsh in ten thousand BC. But it was still, it still looked, it still kind of looked really good. And you know, and the last song, it's like that's it's not almost real pre- prehistoric. <laughs> no, no, really, damn. But you know, and the last song was almost like pretty much note for note, um, Fehu by Vodruna. But you know, but the kind of instruments he use, this unless you've got a really unique take on it, it's going to sound like all. It's going to sound like those bands, but it doesn't really have all the cross beats that that um, Vodruna have. But you know, but having a band like that at Bloodstock and it working, I think that's a really good sign for the future. And um, and and it had an you know a kind of emotional and hangover palliative power. Fair, fair dues. Yeah, it's. I think it's. I mean, stuff like that definitely belongs at Bloodstock. It's hard to kind of gauge where the bigger examples of that kind of stuff, your high lungs and your wardrobes would. Fit, yeah, but... I mean, it's stuff that's not metal, but no one would accuse it of being kind of watering down what a festival is about. Yeah, no, definitely. I fully agree. Um, The first band that I saw on the main stage, and I feel like you saw as well, Steve, on the main stage with me, was uh, Bleed From Within, another band who had already played earlier in the year at Download Pilot. Um, Probably a bit more, well, no, definitely more suited to Bloodstock than a While She Sleeps or a Wargasm. Uh, I thought they went down really well. I think they've just turned into a really polished, brilliant young metal band. Um, I think I went over to Steve at one point during the set and said, if Lamb of God wrote this song, everyone in metal would be absolutely losing their shit about it. Uh, they're just one of the most reliable young bands in, in metal in the UK now, aren't they, Steve? Yeah, and they had them. They, they, what they've got is a lot of energy as well. Like I think I said... It, Ali, their drummer, walks on and just goes to the front of the crowd and just gets everyone kind of pumped up. And I think, again, like I said, with sleeps, like not that sleeps don't do this, but like you you need to sort of take into account how much a crowd will bring to 
a set, particularly like a festival set. And I think Bleed From Within, the amount of energy they kind of expunged out towards people was so infectious. Like they're a really infectious band, those riffs, that groove, like they're probably a bit more of a straightforward band than somebody like While She Sleeps, certainly more than like Conjurer or even Venom Prison. They're not as extreme as Venom Prison and Venom Prison have that kind of instantaneous thing. But there's something about Bleed From Within which just sort of hits and feels really good straight away. They've got a real kind of immediacy about it. And when you put that with like a lot of personality, I think like metal, like kind of younger modern metal bands struggle with, they're with a set with their own sense of sort of personality and having something that kind of will set them apart from people. I don't think I think you look at Bleed from Within. I think you look at someone like Scott, and he really feels like no one else. Not no one else is like him, but he really feels like oh yes, yeah, that the kind of you know aggro Scottish dude who's got a bit of a, a sort of you know an aggro tongue in cheek thing going on and. I think that's like that sort of sense of your own identity is un- is all too uncommon in the identical kind of modern metalcore band. I think all in black t-shirts and floppy fringes and believe me, they don't have that. They really do. They might not be the most unique band musically, but they have a very strong sense of their own personality and loads of energy, and they're just really infectious. They're just really good, really good. Definitely, definitely. Uh, another band that's really good. I mean, it, uh, obviously, it's kind of a lot due to circumstance, but it's so cool to see so many British metal bands of so many different strokes and so many different generations just getting moments to shine on the main stage of a festival like they have been uh, this bloodstock. They're just all over the place. And another one is Orange Goblin finally celebrating 25 years after their uh, initial plans for the celebrations got hijacked. Yeah, after 27 years. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you know, Priest it's doing 50 years. I don't know if it's actually 50 now. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Numbers are irrelevant now. But yeah, Orange Goblin. No, because they had to postpone so many times. Yeah, exactly. Um, Orange Goblin, uh, though, came on after Blue From Within. In the sunshine, massive riffs. Ben Ward banging his head on the main stage of Bloodstock. I think some things are just kind of meant to be and it just felt good to see that. Um, it was awesome. Uh, while they were on, I did nip in to see a little bit of, uh, what was that band called? Vexed on the uh, Sophie stage. I thought they were all right. Quite interesting young band. Uh, kind of like new metal grooves meet kind of hardcore meet metalcore. Quite a lot of stuff going on there. I, um, I thought there was slightly, I saw a bit of them. I thought there were slightly sort of machigory grooves in there as well too. Yeah, there's a lot of that, that kind of like uh, weird time, like pinging across time kind of grooves, like janky yeah. grooves. They're, they're one of those but, bands that kind of are, like, you could just see the kind of generation they're from almost just because their influences are kind of written over their sleeve. But I thought it was quite interesting what they were doing. Um, who else? I did not watch therapy. I'm going to take a leap and presume that Stephen Hill did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How were they? Yeah, they were, um, they were uh, quite loose, actually. I love therapy. I love them. I, I love them. I love, I think I love everything they've ever done. Like literally every album they've been around. They, they've been around for 30 years now. They should have been celebrating their 30th anniversary tour should have been happening in 2020. So they're doing that. I think next year, so it'll be 32 years. And um, they've got an amazing back catalogue of stuff. I think they're one of the most sort of, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Again, they just pull from a lot. 
a lot of stuff. They've got one of them. Uh, yeah, they've got a back catalogue and every album is a slightly different flavour on the thing that Therapy have done before. They sort of know where their bread is buttered with their audience. And I think at a festival, I can understand why they would lean on a kind of greatest hit set and play a lot of stuff from Trouble Gum, which is a brilliant, brilliant record, like a, a legitimately classic record. I can understand why they would lean on that. Me, as someone who goes to see them every time they have a tour, I would quite like to hear them play a lot of other stuff personally, and they tend not to do that. I think they did about six or seven songs from Trouble Gum, maybe like one or two from the new album. Um, they were slightly loose. You could tell, I think they'd only done like one gig before this, um, and they they fucked up a few times. Like they were kind of, you know, a little bit rusty. I think you could tell. But their shows are just brilliant. And Andy Cairns is a great front man. Um, Michael McKeegan is the, the, the evil priest. Michael McKeegan is like a really excellent foil to Andy Cairns. I just think I just think Therapy are one of the the most underrated rock bands of the 90s and beyond because they're not a 90s band. They've released loads of great records post that period. Um, I just would like to hear them play more of it, to be perfectly honest. That's reasonable. Uh, yeah, I heard that they kind of uh, had a couple of oopsies, but um, that's fine. They did a bit. Yeah, they did a bit. They also, they did a cover of, um, they did their cover, a cover. They did their cover of Isolation by Joy Division. And it gave me the chance to do the Ian Curtis dance as well during that. So that's, that was good. I, uh, Always. I, I think I saw video evidence of that. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> after therapy. Oh my God. Glory Hammer <laughs> down from the top of Bloodstock. And this is where you kind of just have to accept that there are huge swaths of the metal scene that really go in hard for this stuff. Ailstorm's another one. They pull in major crowds. They have big streaming numbers. People love this shit. I couldn't hack too much of Glory Hammer to, Glory Hammer, to be honest. I found it to be like, it just felt like, a joke from a Dungeons and Dragons session that was allowed to go too far. Um, Can I just say before you go any further, I would like to personally and publicly show my gratitude to Mr. Jonathan Seltzer. (laughs) I knew this was coming. Who, who (laughs) took one for the team. And by all accounts, there was conversations behind the scenes about who was going to have to review quote unquote, all the comedy bands. And my name came up. (laughs) and Jonathan Jonathan said no I'll do it and as much as I would have probably liked writing about these bands watching a band like Glory I didn't watch any of Glory Hammer so I have nothing to say about them but I I just know that I wouldn't have liked it let's put it that way so Jonathan thank you for your service and thank you for taking that bullet for me I appreciate it I was more sort of saving them from you it wasn't really about me. <laughs> Throwing yourself <laughs> in the way of his reviews. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I don't I don't hate all these kind of bands. I actually genuinely like some of Ailstorm's stuff. I think they have written some genuinely great fucking songs. It's just one of those things where it's like, my God, it's endless amount of albums about pirate metal or about being pirates or whatever. Like, how is this still so big on this scale when genuinely brilliant bands some of which we discussed today are kind of still slugging it out in a lot of things and you know i watched i watched glory hammer it was it was it was knowingly stupid but it was kind of 
I don't know. I would say it was kind of like less tongue in cheek than almost like Credula Filthar at times. I was a bit like, are they taking themselves seriously when they do this? I don't really know. But it was it was objectively ridiculous. I mean, I mean, they're, they're, you know, they're playing characters, aren't they? And, yeah, sure. You know, so I mostly, you know, as a general rule on record, I hate all this stuff. I hate everything. But then, I, but the thing you look for is that glint in the eye. That so, so I love to assess because they really have that. You know, they're really knowing. They have that glint in the eye. Um, and they're the really funny. Are also, like I know they've they've done fun stuff like they did the disputing cover and stuff. But like, there's actual kind of stuff tied into their heritage and historical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuff tied the, into I mean, there's a there. lot. Yeah, there's a lot of musical knowledge going on. Yeah, um, it's not the same as some dude putting on a fucking wizard hat and just writing a song about you. No, so. I first saw Glory Hammer at Wacken and I was like, ah, when in Rome, I kind of sort of enjoyed it for what it was. Um, you know, just checking everything at the door. And, you know, most of this stuff is just like, oh, God. And sometimes like a band is just so much kind of silliness and go beyond silly. And just like, you know, you're, in the, you're just this constant storm cloud and then they kind of push you above and there's this sunlit lands above the clouds and you're in there for a minute but with all these bands it's fun for 15 minutes and then it's just like oh my god i can't take any more of this it's just like it's like someone putting bald sweets in your mouth and just like force feeding you bald sweets every five minutes you're just like okay now i feel sick and i have to go yeah, but um more like but there's some... dog turds really but I know. <laughs> yeah no but you know i enjoyed it. i really enjoyed i strangely enjoyed it for the first sort of 15 minutes yeah no you know um, what, you what, know what? i, I kind of said that because i thought it'd be a funny joke more than that like i can i, <laughs> yeah. can, I can take stuff like glory Hammer, and, the, and there was really that can, really but... yeah there wasn't really fun it's like we're going to take you to you know we, we need to just go on a mission to the galactic station or whatever it is by galactic station i'm in the bar yeah and yeah, so I, you know I, I there, there was that kind of knowingness yeah. to it but yeah I, 15 minutes i'm done it's a lot, I mean, but you know, object. I can see and be grumpy about it. Objectively, they played really well. Um, they had a big fucking crowd, and the crowd was mad for them. I have never seen so many inflatable objects in well, a crowd of mine. Yeah, well, inflatable unicorns. Well, but not just that, mate. There was an alligator. I saw. There, I saw pineapples. I saw. Swords I saw. Before. Yeah, I saw the pineapple going around as um, well. And then, yeah, there, you're right. There were about I don't know two hundred inflatable unicorns bouncing around. So it was it was fun. It was the kind of fun that you know you get fun like skin dreads and then you get fun like glory hammer i know which one i like but bloodstock likes both equally and i can respect that so it was what it was um you know glory hammer metal hammer cover coming to you soon maybe <laughs> who knows hey man <laughs> i mean we put smaller bands on them and i go i don't fucking know people love that shit um kind of finally getting things back on a more serious tact but no less fun i guess uh, was Saxon soon after came out and watched some of their set just reliable brilliantly crafted um, old school heavy metal bangers I thought um, I quite enjoyed the song they wrote about Motorhead um, they played rock and roll it's quite like a, another quite poignant moment it just feels that like more poignant when uh, that kind of stuff plays now and I love the fact that unlike Metallica when Metallica wrote the song about Lemmy on the Hardwired album it was kind of like this slow, groovy, slightly dirgy track that didn't make much sense. Saxon's song about Motorhead just sounds like a fucking Motorhead song, and that's what it should sound like. With, with, a, little, with a little touch of schmaltz in it. Sure. It, it, wasn't sure. My, what, like, it was a great song, but it's not my favourite song of the set. Um, no, no, no. Not when you've got like you know Wheels of Steel and Denim and Leather and like all those bangers. Thoroughly enjoyed that. Um, that all said, I do genuinely really like Saxon. 
but going from Saxon to Judas Priest, like that's going from like, yeah, this is a really good example of this to like, this is the best example of this that has ever existed. Um, Judas Priest headlining Sunday. It doesn't really get much better than that. It doesn't make much more sense than that as far as Bloodstock goes, I think. Uh, I was delighted when they started with One Shot of Glory. I didn't realise it was the first time they'd ever played it, which I thought was mad to me. I had no idea. Um, the sound was quite quiet for the first kind of, I would say, quarter or so of the set. Uh, and then they seemed to turn it up and it definitely, like we were quite far back for it and it definitely hit us more for the kind of, you know, quarter of the set in, I think. Um, I thought it was an absolutely phenomenal set list, to be honest. Like, career career spanning uh four songs of painkiller which i love because it's my favorite judas priest album um but went right across a ton of different albums as well uh there were other songs they'd never played before also uh there was invader of a stained class never played that song before which is pretty cool and Ro they also played uh rock roller was the first time they played it for, since 1976 by yeah rock and roller like pr i mean fucking proper mental. fucking old school mm. uh, they played a touch of evil which i love that song they haven't played that for uh, over 15 years now and um, there were songs they played for the first time in over a decade uh it was just awesome they played hell patrol as well which is like my, maybe my favorite judas priest song um first time they played that in over a decade it was just a real celebratory brilliant set um, and they had a massive bull on stage at the end, which I shamefully didn't understand the reference of. And thankfully, <laughs> our writer, Rich Hobson, uh, we were with a group of about 20 people watching him. And I looked around and everyone's going, oh, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And then I looked at Rich Hobson, who's from the Midlands. And thankfully, he knew it was uh, in reference to the bull ring in Birmingham. So there you go. British as fuck. And I, and speaking of being British as fuck, I am not a man to get patriotic at the worst of times, let alone the best of times. But... When Judas Priest were playing Breaking the Law and they were flashing the Union Jack, I was like, yeah, you know what? This is what it should feel to actually like celebrating something good that's come out of Britain, like a genuinely brilliant band that like have never fit really put a foot wrong, have only ever stood for good times in heavy metal and are fronted by one of the most loveliest, decent seeming blokes in the history of music and how amazing did how to look when he came out yeah and he looks like some kind of heavy metal santa now or something yeah and he, about, and he yeah, sounded that, great he sounded fucking yeah. great as well um and yeah that that first track he had with all the gold tassels was just like yeah it was just like amazing living his best and, life you know, yeah and then having that um early sort of you know thing of like you've got nothing coming excited than turbo lover was just amazing and because like at their best like say you know you listen to british deal or whatever and it's just like there's no band there's barely any band on the planet that makes me feel as happy as judas priest do and you know the, the set kind of changed in kind of atmosphere about halfway through some kind of more limber like numbers drawn out numbers but it just also shows what amazing musicians they were and i love that kind of warm groove that came in well, they did extend the set, didn't they? It ended up being a two-hour yeah. set and it wasn't planned to be. So I do wonder if part of that middle section was added tracks because I agree, it, if you kind of look at the first few songs, One Shot Glory, Lightning Strike, which is obviously of the last album and is, is now a priest classic as far as I'm going. I was going to say that is when you think like what that is, you know, that song's only a few years old and mm -hmm. you think, you look at what is it's surrounded by on their set list and yet it was fucking i mean you know again not the hottest take that firepower is fucking brilliant mm -hmm. but to be like celebrating your 50th 
fiftieth album. Um, sorry, fiftieth year for the yeah, album. Yeah. They're not, they're not quite that. It. They're not quite. They're not, they're not Neil Young. Um, uh, to get your fiftieth year as a band and your last album to have a like not just a song but a bunch of songs that you go, yeah, this is this just sits in comfortably with like songs that have been staples, classics, absolute gold standard metal songs. Not just for the band, but for the for, for this genre for like three mm. decades, it's fucking amazing. That song is, is so amazing. great, so it's, great. It's so it is so great that song, and it's probably not even in my top three songs off that album. It's how good that album is. Um, and then yeah, they went in another thing coming. Exciter, Turbo Lover, Hell Patrol, and then the the you know the pace did change up a little bit. We still got kind of victim of changes in there. We got a touch of evil in there, um, and then we got. Well, Invader, as I said, first time they played that. And after that, we got Painkiller, and then we got the Hellion and Electric Eye, Hellbent for Leather, Metal Gods, Breaking the Law, Living After Midnight, Glenn Tipson coming on for the, the last three of those tracks. Just like as good as this gets. And I think my favourite way I've ever seen Bloodstock get closed out. I mean, for Bloodstock to be gone for two years and for all this horrible shit to happen and then to be back at a heavy metal festival and to have that run of songs officially wrapping things up at a festival like this is just, like, genuinely emotional. It felt like, kind of, the world's actually being okay again for just a little a little moment in time there. It was fucking great. Um, that opening as well with the Trident... Yeah, the tri- yeah, the big freeze trot. I was thinking about how they've made that kind of a really iconic symbol, even though it doesn't really mean anything other than it just looks badass and it's been on their artwork and stuff. Do you know what I mean? Like, Yeah, but when it comes with that portentous intro and then it's it's on an angle and then it lifts up, it was just like... And the level of anticipation that builds up was just... It was spectacular. And um, it just really pulls you... You know, it pulls you out of yourself before they've even come on and played a note. Yeah, it was fucking badass absolutely amazing um just three stellar headliners to be honest not really much of a chink to be found in the armor of any of those sets nope. uh, as predicted Sorry, three gone. fucking brilliant headliners yeah absolutely yeah. three headliners all of very different kind of creeds as well i mean you know creator and priest are both more on the heavy metal side of things i guess but um it was just great it was just everything i wanted it to be a must well, to be honest and then there was the coda and then there was what the coda uh, on the Sophie stage. Oh God. Yeah. Go on then. <laughs> All right. No. Well, see, yeah. So I've got a soft spot for evil scarecrow and, um, but it was something else. Um, seeing them then and there. And when I, when I first got, you know, it's like, I had to leave before the end of priest. It was like, fuck's sake. But, um, I know. Oh. I, I know. Oh, sorry. They're playing painkiller. I've got to go with Crabulon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This, this is the, um, this is the sword I fell upon uh, for you, Steve. I tell um, you what, you'd have had, a, you'd have had, a, you'd have had some job on your hands dragging me from that fucking last right, greatest hits run of Judas Priest, the last six songs, dragging me away during fucking Evil Eye and fucking Hellion and stuff to go and watch Evil Scarecrow. You'd have had, a, you'd have to got the whole Metal Hammer team to drag me kicking and screaming away from that. So, I'm, but oh, oh, yeah, making me so feel. I, oh. I know. I'm not. I'm not the general who actually did leave the field. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, so so I got there. And it's like. I mean, it was obviously the tent was rammed and I couldn't really get too close. And uh, there was these strips of video s- screen and it's like, this, is this, is this, um, Evil Scarecrow? It sounds like some kind of gothic-y deathcore band. And then when I saw, got close enough to say, oh yeah, he's got that head brace on and everything. Okay, it is. And, um, and it strangely became really moving 
the the set. I mean, they didn't really bring anything on stage for the first five songs. Um, there, there was a huge, there was a guy in a huge robot like outfit uh, with with his own working claws. Um, but you know, there are things. And the thing is, like with with Evil Scarecrow, they've got humility and they've got charm, and you know, they're really chuffed to be there. Um, they did things like they brought out um, Simon Hall and Vicky um, in unicorn outfits, more unicorns. And me- I think she made- they made Vicky do. Um, this isn't the-, the emotional bit, by the way. They did emotion. You know, they, they made Vicky do press ups. I think I couldn't get close enough to find out if she actually did them. Um, I imagine Vicky the- could have handled that. She is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But then, they- but then they were talking about um, some interview they did with. Um, that podcast again and on gay and they brought them both out and then, and they made them each lead a half of the thing, not a wall of death, but a wall of, um, uh, sexy dancing. And they seem quite emotional about it. And they seem quite emotional about, about, you know, they, they're very emotional about the significance of the Sophie stage. Um, and, and beyond that, it was, you know, especially it became a kind of a really communal experience, which is like this, it must feel such a relief after these two almost like two years of lockdown or 18 months of lockdown and you know even everyone doing that silly robot dance or particularly right towards the end you know they do crabulon and everyone's got the hands up like crabs you know in anticipation but it's almost like felt like feed me feed me this is what i need mm. you know this is this is the kind of experience i need and so just everyone joining together in this kind of very common experience became strangely moving and it's not like they stint on the music either because they're really good musicians um yeah no and, and, and you know actually, it's, it's just a, every song is telling a story yeah and okay the story's about something silly but <laughs> but you know they're, they're they take a lot more care of the music than they need to do no you're right and and i i do actually have a lot more time for evil scarecrow than i probably do for glory hammer and maybe that is because evil scarecrow are quite tied to bloodstock they feel like kind of hometown heroes when they play. And the first time I saw Evil Scarecrow, I did think it was really good fun. And I was like, this is great. This is really funny. I've just seen them a couple of times now. And it's kind of like, it's just not quite for me to see a full set of that. But again, you can't really argue with the crowds they pull. And I do yeah, understand what I th- you're saying with the kind of unexpected emotional pull of seeing, you know, that band yeah, doing so, that. Yeah, ev- again. yeah, everyone, yeah, it just like, make, especially like, uh, you know, after lockdown and the sense of, been able to do this thing with, you know, this silly crab crabular thing with everyone, um, and you know he doesn't, you know, he talks. He's not in character between songs. Like he talks, he talks quite meaningfully between songs, and it gives it, it just gives it kind of an edge. You mentioned that it's not just a one-dimensional joke band, and yeah. you know, and the amount, and you know, but they also had you know huge things come up on stage, like, um, and anyone who puts that much effort into it there's got to be some seriousness of intent to put that much effort into it. Yeah. You know, when it's all homemade stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. That's, that's fair. I mean, they're a bloodstock staple. They're not, uh, you know, I think kind of closing out a festival like this one with that kind of thing in the Sophie tent is, it does make perfect sense. Um, are there any other, uh, tent bands from Sunday at all that we want to shout out? So, Oh, I told you, I've just realized something actually. I totally forgot to shout out Mountain Caller from Saturday. Um, we went to see them. They came on before Creator. They're on the Jägermeister stage, tiny stage kind of in the main stage uh, arena. Um, they're like a kind of a progressive, stonery, uh, instrumental band, which on paper isn't really my thing. And I do I do like their music, but it's not the kind of thing I'll sit with a lot. 
but there was something about kind of like it's starting to turn to evening the sky was starting to change a slightly different color um, and this three piece just came on and just hammered out these riffs for about half an hour 40 minutes and they had a really solid crowd in that tent and everyone was really really feeling it and it felt like a really nice kind of palette cleanser for the day before creator came on they were fucking great and they were i think they were perfectly booked as well because it was kind of like felt like a slight oddity being having like an instrumental band put in that kind of position but they were really really good and for some reason i thought the the jägermeister stage was quite acoustic heavy not at all just smashing out riffs sounded really great and um, one of the kind of not unexpected because i knew they were going to be good but one of the unexpected kind of major highlights of my whole weekend i really enjoyed mountain caller so i want to shout them out a lot um was there I anyone else people saw, saw on the sunday well actually to go back to that, i saw about a bit of a band just before cradle of filth came on i saw a band on the new blood stage called abduction and um they are a kind of behemothy style black metal band and they were very good as well um they're okay. all wearing kind of hoods and masks and stuff um you know typical typical daft black metal stuff jonathan you know how it is um <laughs> look at his face his, jonathan's nose just just curled up in pure disgust no they were they were really good they were very good they're kind of they're they're british as well i think they're from i think they're from london i think but they were i don't uh, think uh, you don't what I don't think it'd have got many non-British bands on the new blood stage. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, they, they must have been. They're definitely British. I'm not sure whereabouts they're from, but yeah, it was. They were really good. Um, I enjoyed them, and as a good kind of, um, oh, this is what this stuff properly sounds like before Cradle of Filth came along. Um, and also Black Tongue. I mean, if you've been eating festival food all weekend and drinking beer, probably don't go and watch Black Tongue because you. I was so close to shitting my pants how heavy they were like not because i was scared but because the frequencies they use they nearly found that brown note black tongue they are so fucking heavy so down tuned and so grim sounding um they played on sunday they were very good but horrible yeah i want to give two other tent shout outs one to grave lines like really like really not the festival vibe but just want some pure grimness uh, but with like a very kind of narrative feel to them, like they've got a great front man in Jake. Um, it's kind of doom, like it's kind of doomy such a bit. It becomes something else, just the way, like the, it feels like they're really telling a story, and it's, it's kind of you, while your synapses are burning out. They're a great and sli- slightly nepotistically because one of them is my flatmate. I just want to give a shout out to um, this is Ennis, who are fucking amazing, uh, just full on sort of groovy, sort of slightly hardcore death metal. Uh, ex-members of um, Ted Maul um, and it's great to see that whole kind of London scene so- sometimes unfairly maligned but actually really forward-looking uh, bands just playing back like uh, Jeremy and Luca from Ted Maul playing back together in, a, in an absolutely tear-your-face-off sort of uh, hardcore inf- inflected death metal band and they were great. Hell yes, it was an um, it was honestly an amazing weekend. I've been very lucky to. I think it was my tenth bloodstock, um, and I've worked all of them. So you don't always get the chance to kind of build the same kind of memories as you as you might like when you're working festivals, because it because it you know it, you never quite know what the how much you could have on what the experience is going to be like. This was definitely one of my favourite bloodstocks ever. It might actually be my favourite bloodstock ever. I thought pretty much all the bands I saw were fucking great. Even the bands I didn't like, like very much were objectively really good. Um, three absolutely amazing headliners. 
uh and just the vibe around the festival all weekend was so great i mean i haven't really stayed out and partied at bloodstock for a few years but staying late on the saturday and going to like the silent disco for instance where a tent full of metalheads were just screaming along to lady gaga it was just fucking great it was such a great weekend massive massive shout out to vicky and adam and rachel and all the bloodstock team who put that all together um and just kind of just kind of like poker faced the pandemic really like the whole time they were like yeah we're going ahead we're going ahead we're going ahead and we've been kind of going oh is this is this really gonna happen is it possible they had lineup dropouts they swapped things around um i can imagine it was extremely chaotic but not only did it happen but it happened with a fucking great lineup and uh just an immense weekend of great performances so Shout out them. Shout out to everyone who made the festival great and turned up and hung out. Thanks to people that came up and said hi to us as well. A few people came and said hi and said they like the podcast and the magazine and everything else. We really appreciate that. Um, who knows when we'll next get to do a festival again. But it was pretty nice getting to do one uh, this summer, wasn't it? That first Absolutely. Place, I think it definitely was. It's lovely to have gone to two festivals and I had a lovely, lovely time at both of them. Um I really hope there are loads back next year. I'm sure there will be. Um, I mean, Bloodstock's already announced. Are we going to talk about the announcement of 2022 or are we going to save that? You've, you smoothed me along to my very next point. Yes, I okay. think we absolutely should. Uh, yeah, I was there on the Friday night just before Devon when they announced all these bands um, on the on the, uh, the main stage screens. They've already announced a ton of bands for 2022. Some huge names in here as well. Very uh, kind of diverse lineup as well musically. Bloody Woods are playing, which is awesome. I've been waiting to see that band for it feels like years now. We've got Dimu Borgit, always reliably epic. Barry Tomorrow, who should have, of course, played this year. Looking forward to seeing how they go down. Sacred Riker playing. We've got the Black Dahlia Murder. They're really good, aren't they? Uh, we've got the Night Flight Orchestra as well, who will definitely bring yes. a kind of party disco vibe. I'm all about that cheese. Yeah, they'll go down and storm, I reckon. Um, we've got Life of Agony playing. We've got Butcher Babies playing. We've got Violence playing. We've got Phil and Salmo playing. We kind of talked about him being obviously a very controversial booking when he was booked for, uh, oh God, was it last year's lineup originally? I can't remember. Uh, but he's he's back on the lineup, so it seems. We've also got Lamb of Gods, who got, I think, probably the biggest cheer of all the announcements, which is pretty fucking wild. And we've got Merciful Fate back on the lineup as well. It's a strong first lineup, is it not, Seltz? I am loving, yeah, pretty much all of this. Um, yeah, I'm really happy with it. Um, you know, Merciful Fate, just one of the most important bands. It's funny, people, last time they headlined Bloodstock, not everyone got it because that voice is really, you're either going to love it or you hate it. Mm. But if you love it, you're just in another place. It's... Um, yeah, it just does something, it just does something to my DNA that very few other things can do. I'm really excited. I, yeah. I love, I love them, and uh, yeah, and I'm all, and I'm going to be doing all the pull downs to um, Nightflight Orchestra. Hell yes! <laughs> excited for anything in particular on that lineup, Steve, for next year? Um, I would say so far this is a solid, uh, a solid announcement rather than a spectacular one for my money. Merciful Fate is the obvious one that you look at and you go, well, that's really fucking exciting. Um, I think, you know, King Diamond was brilliant back in 2013 when he played. Fucking brilliant. I would imagine Merciful Fate will be equally as brilliant, if not even better. Lamb of God is good as well. Lamb of God is good. I have to say, Lamb of God with a couple of, a few albums that haven't been quite as stellar as their early material. I think I'm I'm probably, if I'm being 
totally honest, I'm slightly less excited by Lamb of God in 2022 than I would have been in sort of 2010, to be honest. I've seen them a lot of times, but I still think like, you know, they're a great band. Black Dolly Murder are a great band. Again, I've seen them a lot. Um, I really, really love Life of Agony. I've loved Life of Agony for decades now so i'd be really really keen to see them um and i'd be interested like you said i'd be really interested to see how barry tomorrow get on as well mm. so i think there's a lot of stuff and vi- you know violence i wonder how big that's actually going to be because i think a lot of people will be interested in it but i wonder how big Didn't they get actually a very big are cheer, yeah it's one of those things where they got announced i think people will like to go oh yeah violence oh yeah i'm really into that but you know are you actually, or have you just heard the name and know that Rob Flynn used to be in them or something? Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, Exodus as well. It's great. Like, I think Exodus will be brilliant. That's fucking, you know. Exodus play? Yep. They are not on this lineup that I'm looking at. Are they not? I'm pretty no. sure they got announced. Now you say that, yeah, I feel like I feel like Exodus did get announced, actually. Exodus definitely, definitely got announced. I'm absolutely convinced that Exodus Yeah, no, I think you're right. And hold on, Testament got announced as well, didn't they? Testament. Yeah, I'm looking at a, p- a poster now. Testament... Sacred Right, Gua. You didn't mention Gua. Gua, Exodus. Well, you didn't mention no, none of these bands are, are currently on the lineup page on the uh, Bloodstock thing, which I'm actually looking at. So that's why it threw me. Okay. But yeah, um, you're Gua, right. I forgot about those bands. And Static X as well. Static X. Only Dear, UK show. That is going to be wow. interesting, isn't it? Really it is. So yes, yeah, Testament as well, man. That's fucking going to be brilliant. Yeah. Um, I am really excited for Lamb of God because I feel like Lamb of God have unfinished business at Bloodstock. I thought their first headline set was good, but it was a bit of a weird time for the band. And I feel like there could be more kind of memories to be made by uh, by Lamb of God at Bloodstock. Um, I'm really hyped for that. Yeah, it's a fucking it, great announcement, I think. It, yeah, if Life of Agony play anything off River Runs Red, I'm going to lose my shit. That oh, was yes. such an important record for me. That's going to be good. Oh, yeah, they, God, they, yeah, they definitely will. will. Exodus yeah. and uh, Heathen and Testament, man. Oh, good stuff. I think that is where we should probably just about wrap it up. Cheers again to Bloodstock for having us and putting on a blinding weekend. All-time great Bloodstock Festival. We will be back and then some next year. Uh, don't forget to pick up the latest issue of Metal Hammer, the brand new issue of Metal Hammer, Iron Maiden, back on the front cover for the first time in three years for the biggest metal album of 2021. It is going to be huge fantastic feature i should say by dom lawson uh who is you know this is me saying this probably the biggest i made fan in the history of the world uh he's done a brilliant job with that and of course don't forget out to check out our awesome sponsors killstar at killstar.com they have a very cool range uh very cool bunch of ranges to be honest that you can go and get stuck into over at killstar.com that is about it from us we'll see you next week cheers everybody and goodbye bye goodbye